Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zaitz. It's September, it's time for school and a new season of Faces of Digital Health podcast episodes. As you know, Faces of Digital Health strives to bring you an insight into digital health development across the world. And we're going to start this season in Africa. In today's episode, you're going to hear from a South African entrepreneur, regulatory and quality assurance consultant, Hervé Mwamba. We discussed the state of medical device regulation in South Africa and Africa more broadly, his observations about the consequences and problems related to the European medical device regulation. Hervé also shared his observation regarding innovation and digital health in Africa more broadly. This is the first of a few episodes where speakers talked about the African market. So do make sure to subscribe to the show to be notified about other episodes automatically. Your other option is to subscribe to our newsletter. We just started publishing it during the summer. It's a monthly newsletter filled with information about insights in the last month. Do check it out by visiting the link in the show notes and subscribe to get it straight into your inbox. Before we dive into today's discussion, just another teaser about the future episodes. In the next episode, we'll hear about chronic disease management in Kenya and Ghana as provided by Medtronic Labs. And after that, a discussion about prevention of sexually transmitted diseases and how that could be improved with the rise of at-home diagnostics and testing. But first, today's episode about medical device regulation and Africa. On LinkedIn, your description says that you're really passionate about medical device regulation. So given that most people, when they hear about medical device regulation, start looking for ibuprofen or paracetamol for the headaches that they might endure. Tell me a little bit more about that. What got you interested in medical device regulation? Well, be before I say anything, I should probably change my LinkedIn description <laughs> because that's quite a strong statement to say that I'm passionate about regulations. I think I ended up in regulations almost by luck, I would say. And the passion grew. It's not that when I was a kid, I wanted to be working in regulations, but I think the more I do it, the more the passion grows. I like systems. I like understanding systems and how they work and the rules that apply to the system. And I guess regulations does that. And I was already in the medical device industry. I just transitioned to regulations. You're based in Johannesburg, so South Africa. And I'm really curious to see what's your perspective about the state of digital health and medical device regulation there and across Africa. I would start by saying, okay, what is digital health? It's using ICT in the healthcare 
industry. And I think in general, Africa is probably not at that stage fully as we think about how to use ICT and how to use better tools. But overall, I think we're not really there yet. So it's not as, as prevalent as in Europe or America or in the first world. And the state of regulations in South Africa, it's, it's a touchy topic. <laughs> but the summary that I would give is that it's a new system. You know, it's, it's five years old, actually. So in 2017, there was a new regulatory authority that was mandated to regulate devices. They're called SAPRA. So that stands for the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority. So they're pretty young. So we have a very young system. And so that means that our system uses things that are not as mature as you would expect when you compare it to other parts of the world. A good example is that, let's say I wanted to bring this product, let's say that this is my product, to South Africa. I don't register the product itself. Rather, I will register the person that will be in charge of creating that product. So we have establishment licensing at the moment. We don't register the product. So that's just South Africa. The South Africa is one of the most mature systems in Africa. You have an issue where a lot of countries don't even have a parliamentary act for medical devices. Things are still under the pharmaceutical approach. So you end up with countries with no regulations. So that's, that kind of gives you an idea of what we're working in Africa and mm -hmm. South Africa. Does that mean that basically there's no regulation that you would need to comply with in terms of privacy, data protection, data security? If I'm the one selling this product, then my company is the one that has the license and is the one that's registered. And when it comes to other regulations that have to be adhered to, we have the Puppy Act that's come into force, I forget what year, but that has to do with, with data protection and the personal data protection. And other regulations, honestly, if it's not directly linked to medical devices, the regulator doesn't necessarily look at it. If you get audited maybe by another body, then they might look at it, but the regulator isn't necessarily going to look at that. Okay. So how much innovation is happening in the space to even develop medical devices? Because on the one hand, there's this perception that less developed countries, which Africa is a continent, but has a lot of countries where because of the lack of regulation, the environment would seem like a potential to scale and sell solutions. Maybe not being mindful of the fact that there's a lot of innovative people already in the local environment that understand what the actual problems are and develop different kinds of solutions. So what kind of innovations are you observing? Are there any examples that you could mention? What I've seen happen a lot is that in a country like South Africa, I think there's a lot of brilliant companies and ideas and people. So we have a lot of brilliant ideas. And so you have this amazing idea and you want to maybe bring it to the market. And then you start going through the regulatory system and you realize that the regulatory system is almost not incentivizing people to get into the market. Innovation and regulation, unfortunately, are always fighting against each other. It's very sad, right? And, and I'm sure you can see this in Europe as well with the new European regulations. So in terms of innovation just as a whole, definitely there's a lot of great ideas that are coming out from South Africa. They just never reach the market because the main barrier will be 
firstly a cost issue and also the system is not meant for supporting innovation unfortunately and uh, some specific innovations that i have seen and i might sound like i'm biased but <laughs> i've actually experienced this myself but the company that i used to work for previously so they developed a testing technology for audiology and they revolutionized the way that audiology is done in the sense that they took something that was very uh, fixed like you had to go see the audiologist physically they would lock you up in a booth and you sat there they put earphones on you and they do their testing and they took it out of the boot so they made it portable and that's something quite huge for South Africa but you typically don't hear about these things as much as you should because it's just so difficult for us to reach the market because of the regulatory hurdle and how would you compare other countries in Africa so uh, most often mentioned apart from South Africa are Kenya, Nigeria, is there anything that you would point to? You've actually said the main ones that we always hear about. So there's a lot of good movements happening in Kenya, or I would even say in East Africa. So Kenya, Tanzania, maybe even Uganda, and also on the Western side. So Ghana, Nigeria, just in general, I think there's a lot of innovation happening there. Um, unfortunately, you don't hear as much like Central Africa or Sub-Saharan Africa other than South Africa you don't really you don't really hear it. and actually one of the one of the reasons for that is that there isn't a local capacity to manufacture products right that's something that you'll find in a lot of African countries and if you can't manufacture then you can't really take your innovations as far as they could go and does that mean that a lot of devices or innovation does still come to Africa from abroad because as I mentioned earlier yeah so the market is seen as a potentially interesting for companies outside of Africa but at the same time it's very difficult to really scale in a financial sense in Africa just because the buying power is not as high. You're absolutely right so in South Africa the devices market is made up of about 90%, I think, of imports. So only 10% of products here are made here. And there are reasons for that, and I can give you an example, right? So the regulatory body in South Africa, like I said, we don't register products. We register establishments. If I import this product, then I go to the regulator and I say, I have the CE certificate. And then the regulator recognizes the CE certificate and a bunch of other product, product verifications. So now imagine if I made this thing myself. I go to the regulator, they're going to say, show me your CE certificate. It means that I have to get that myself, as opposed to getting it from the manufacturer when I import. And already at that stage, you're cutting out a lot of people, because it's not the cheapest thing to get the CE certification or FDA or whatever the case may be. So you're right in your observation. So is that where you come in with the consultancy <laughs> on the medical device regulation? In a, let's say, altruistic way, maybe the intention was to empower companies that didn't have the skills or the expertise, etc. Of course, and you try to do that as a consultant. But at the same time, I can only tell you what to do. You still need to go to a notified body and pay I don't know how much. I can't do anything about that. So... It is a bit of a, like a bittersweet type of situation that 
most companies find themselves in. You mentioned that there's no or there's very low manufacturing capability across Africa, which makes it hard for companies to really develop and just produce solutions on a larger scale. So what does that actually mean in terms of innovation and also the testing of solutions? For example, I just thought of the fact that many African countries uh, and healthcare systems are plagued by the problems related to counterfeit medicines. That's a problem in most developing countries. I'm wondering if that's also spilled over in the medical device space, that you would have devices that would claim to do something without really any clinical robustness, and it would they would spread more rapidly just because the market is less regulated. You're asking really, like, packed questions. Where do I start with that? Yes, there are definitely falsified products in Africa, and I did a study, a research project, rather, last year, where we looked at sub-Saharan Africa and one of the things that we saw a high incidence based on the surveys we did was that there's a lot of falsified products and there's no way to control them because to control falsified products you need a system you need a regulatory system you need people that can actually check whether these products are doing what they do so you certainly have that and then from a manufacturing perspective or sorry from an innovation perspective if you have low manufacturing capability, then, like I said earlier, you're always going to have this issue of you have this amazing idea, but you can't scale it up locally because you don't have the capacity to scale it up. So we, unfortunately, we have to rely on imported products. And even unfortunately, again, if you don't have a system and you start importing a lot of products, then you can't actually control the falsified ones before they enter your country. So it's, we are, without being like alarmist or anything, but it's not looking great for Africa in terms of the devices market. What worries you most? What worries me the most, and I probably would have this criticism of most parts in the world, but at least I've seen in, in Africa, is there's this huge gap between the people in power And I'm talking like in real power, so political buy-in versus the people on the ground in the industry. So, for example, the industry will say, we need a regulation to do ABC. But then the people at the top don't understand this. Then they make a regulation that does another thing. And then they force it on you. So then it's, it's a very big, let's call it political disconnect, I would say. And also there's a lack of political buy-in when you speak about some collaborative efforts. So if you have a regulation and we say all the African countries should follow one regulation, you need to convince like 50 or so politicians to agree to that. And that's just not going to, that's not going to happen. So it's... That's the thing that worries me the most. The people in power are not listening to the people that actually do the work. So so basically, in order to do anything, you have to work closely with the government. Is that sort of the interpretation? Yeah, you can look at it like that because the regulatory agencies are, they're not technically part of government, but they fall under the 
Department of Healths generally. So there is a political link and I don't know if it's a lack of understanding from a technical perspective. I don't know if it's greed. I don't know what it is, but we can't regulate ourselves. We need someone to regulate us. But then the ones that are regulating us don't seem to be interested in the things that we're interested in, in terms of creating a good market with good products and good controls. What are some of the stereotypes that you see people have around the medical devices and just the African market more broadly? We also have to emphasize here that we are talking about Africa as this one homogeneous entity, whereas we know it's super diverse and some people describe Johannesburg as very similar to San Francisco. Francisco. You also have very rich populations in different countries in Africa, and that's a really different targeted market compared to the general population or the rural population. So this is a diverse topic, but maybe what are some of the stereotypes in the digital health or med tech space that you think might be interesting for us to hear about? Wow, I've never thought about that. So I would say that having traveled a little bit in Africa and I've had the chance to speak to some regulators in Africa, especially in Tanzania, for example. And one of the stereotypes is that South Africa is the best African market. So if you want to expand into the African market, then South Africa is the best place to go. It's ironic because us here in South Africa are complaining that the system is not good enough, but the rest of Africa is saying, oh no, but you guys have a really good system. I guess that's one stereotype. Another stereotype is that there's not a lot of buying power from the consumer. And when I say consumer, I don't mean like people like you and me, hospitals and healthcare practitioners, but there's a lot of donations. And maybe that's not even a stereotype, but because financially... Most countries are not at that level. They get a lot of products dumped at them, second-rate products even. Like when you, were, when you were younger and you had some clothes and when they don't fit you, you give them to your, <laughs> to your little ones. That's what it seems like to me. We just get these old equipments or these second-rate equipments because we need them, but they actually aren't good for us. I see. Let's try to maybe pivot a little bit to the medical device market in the global sense. The global medical device market is projected to grow from 495 billion US dollars in 2022 to 718 billion dollars by 2029, according to the Forbes Business Insights. You don't just know about the medical device regulation in South Africa. You're familiar with the MDR, with the FDA. So how do you see that the space of medical device regulation is changing on a broader level? It's a topic that everyone has an opinion on, especially when you talk about Europe. I think that the MDR in Europe is doing a lot of good things, but it's also not accounting for a lot of things that they didn't think about previously. When we see the state of the industry and we see that there's only like 20 notified bodies to replace like the, I think 50 or so that were previously there, that's very concerning. When we see the cost it takes to get to Europe nowadays, that's very concerning. So maybe you'll see, what I expect is a shift in, in market share. I think a lot of people are pulling out of Europe 
going to Japan, going to China, going to America. And I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I think we'll see that shift. But then the catch is that if you think of America, it's possible that they'll also put a more strict system in America. So then you end up again at the same place. So my prediction for now <laughs> is that the market share, will, a lot of people will simply not see Europe as an attractive market because of the MDR. Again, I don't think it's good or bad. That's just the way I see it. And yeah, that's, that's my, my general take on the global mm -hmm. market. So if, we, if you're a little bit more specific, how would you compare the regulation in the US compared to the regulation in Europe? You also mentioned that some of the things that might be good to, to, include, to be included in the MDR aren't included. What did you mean by that? I meant more, maybe I didn't express it properly, but I meant the MDR brought some new requirements that in writing, I guess it seemed adequate, but then when we start implementing it, we see that it's not as clear. One of the examples is the notified bodies. It's a lot harder to get designation as an MDR notified body. I don't know if it was oversight or if they intended it to be like that, but it's not good if you don't have enough notified bodies. We experience it now where our notified bodies are telling us that they don't have enough people, everything is taking longer, we need to pay them more because they need to spend more time reviewing everything. It's not, I don't think that's good for the industry in general if there aren't enough notified bodies. And that's the trend that you see mostly in Europe or also in the US? That's in Europe. That's in mm -hmm. Europe. As far as the US goes, I don't think that they've changed anything significantly in the past few years with their with their pre-market systems and de novo and that kind of thing so it's but like i said it is possible that they will in a few years they'll look at the mdr and they'll see that some things are working really well and then they'll say oh we should also implement this and i think regulators do that they always meet and discuss things together so we shouldn't be surprised when when things change like that Yeah, I guess one of the things I find interesting about the FDA when it comes to medical devices and digital health is the breakthrough device designation where a company can apply to be approved as a breakthrough device, which sounds really awesome, but it really mostly just means that you go through a faster regulatory process. Yeah, and another almost counterexample to what you're saying is the de novo process in America. In some cases, you can't actually find anything that you can use to claim equivalence to because your thing is so new and novel, whatever. So you have to go through a lot more strict process in de novo, which could be seen as unfair because then in a few years, someone could just do a 510K to your de novo product. And that'll mm -hmm. be easier for them. A 510K basically is, to explain it like on a high level, is if you have a medical product and you want to bring it to America, you can use the 510K process by saying that, hey, look, my product is more or less the same as that product over there. And here's the proof that I'm showing you. And then the FDA can say, okay, we accept your proof. Your device is equivalent or substantially equivalent is the term they use. To that other device, you can use it in the market. That's mm -hmm. roughly what 510K brings you. 
Yeah, I guess a faster approach to to regulation. Again, I remember that there's a really nice movie called Cutting Edge. It's mm. a you watched it? I did. I it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those who haven't seen it, I really recommend it. It's basically a documentary about the medical device market that just shows a lot of patient harm that has happened due to unfortunate regulation and just negative impacts of medical devices that was shown hardly after years of use. Enough teasers about that. Um, in terms of medical device regulation and how does it apply to the African market, how come that you got so interested in this? Do companies that are still based in South Africa, do they look to the US market or the European market to scale and to know all these things? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to firstly take into consideration that the currency in South Africa is at the moment is 15 times weaker than the dollar. And it's about, I think, 17 or 18 times weaker than the euro. So if you're selling anything overseas, you're making so much more money. And it's not to say that money is the driving factor, but when you look at a business, you need to think about profit and you need to think about how to reinvest in your company. So for sure, a lot of companies are looking abroad for business. Are there companies here that want to go to Europe? They are. And even further, so the... Two of the clients that I've worked with are local manufacturers, right? So that means that, firstly, they need to have a South African establishment license. And for that, they need to have a CE or FDA clearance. And for that, they need to go to a notified body or apply for a 510K. Because of things like that, the companies that I've worked with have always typically gone abroad. And that's what's exposed me to these global markets. One thing that we haven't talked about yet is the fact that many software applications are classified as medical devices. How much have you dug into that? And how much do you see that the process for getting classified and certified is different for software solutions compared to hardware solutions? I think there's, it's clear that there's some confusion already about whether your software application is a device or not. And I think from what I've seen so far, there's a lot of effort going into trying to guide people to define if your software is a device or not, because you don't want to define it incorrectly. And I actually know the perfect person you should speak to about regarding this issue, especially when you throw AI and machine learning into the mix. But basically, the summary is that the... If we look at the MDR, I guess you could say the same about the FDA, but the regulations are typically not ready to support what's happening in software because software is advancing at a rapid pace, but then the regulations don't necessarily have the terms to define certain things. So for now, I think it's good enough and there are products being CE certified or cleared by the FDA and they are software devices. But the more you see AI coming into the mix, it's going to be increasingly difficult. To How do you regulate AI? You need to have a very clear consensus on the terms that are used and on the types of tests that you would do. Honestly, I wouldn't want to work for the regulator because it's going to be like a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure 
and a lot of collaboration with the industry, which regulators aren't always excited to do, with all due respect. Yeah, it's a huge problem because on the one hand, we now expect clinical robustness of AI algorithms, while at the same time, there's still this huge concern about bias caused by clinical decision support systems because we just are hardly starting to understand how AI actually works. And oftentimes that's not clear. Can I cut you there? Can I cut you there? Sorry. Sure, go ahead. I just have to say, like, with what you're saying, there's another issue that we need to talk about when it comes to software and AI is the open source and IP issue, because it's almost impossible to properly evaluate AI and software if there's this barrier that's not allowing you to see what's inside the box, because now it's just a black box. So now you need to speak to the industry and talk about this open source. I don't know if you've seen that also. Oh, yeah. We both know Hippo AI a Foundation from Germany, which strives for open algorithms. So we would prevent so-called data or AI capitalism, where basically the power gets accumulated on the side of manufacturers of algorithms. But what I thought was interesting is that during COVID, one of the big news in medtech and digital health was the realization that blood oxygen saturation monitors don't work as well on the black population as they do on the white population. And this is what opened up this whole discussion about who's actually included in clinical trials when evaluating AI algorithms or medical devices. And it's clear that there's not enough diversity in the space. And also the movement has started, especially in the US, to change that because we know that AI models are not transferable from one population to another from one institution to another. I guess the field is still in early stages of development, despite the fact that there's a lot going on. And from that perspective, I was wondering if you perhaps observed that there's any interest for making clinical trials and studies in Africa just because the population is so different there. Or is it, again, the same problem that, okay, the population is there, the needs are huge, but there's no buying power, so why bother? I would look at it from an ethical perspective. So my answer is yes and no. But I would look at it ethically and say that you only do clinical trials if you have to. So if we know, for example, that we're not selling these, as an example, I know it's not true, but these oxygen measuring devices you mentioned, let's say we know that they are only being sold in a particular part of the world, and we know that there is no black population there. Again, I'm just saying in ideal or not ideal, but in just for the example, then it would be unethical to do clinical trials in Africa just to say that we've included African people in that study. So I think what I see a lot, and it's one of my frustrations, is that there's always this pressure to bring products in Africa just because we need more technology and stuff. But We should always look at what is the need in Africa from a healthcare perspective. What diseases are prevalent? What's the population like? That's what should inform the devices we bring and the clinical trials that we do. We shouldn't just do clinical trials just to say that, okay, these people weren't included. I I think that's part of the the clinical trial approach and guidelines is that it should firstly be ethical. So I would say that we should be very careful when it comes to doing studies on human beings, if they're not going to use 
that inf- or those devices at the end of the day. So here's a loaded question. Obviously, healthcare systems in Africa, more or less, don't spend a lot of GDP on healthcare compared to the West. According to the Western standards, many would see that healthcare delivery is relatively poor just because it's different than in the West. So how do you see the future evolution of healthcare, and we can limit ourselves to South Africa here, so we don't talk about it too broadly. Progress is being made, technology is being used, systems are getting digitized, even if it's happening on a different pace compared to some other more developed markets. But how do you uh, see the future development and what are you most optimistic about I'll think about something to be optimistic about in a second. But I would start by by saying that we should try to at least address the most direct needs before doing anything else in order to progress. It seems to me that we're always interested in doing the sexy thing, like bringing in like the coolest technology and fourth industrial revolution. And that stuff is great. But I think when you're in a country where there are issues, for example, with maternal mortality right it's something that shouldn't be happening but it's happening and there's so many not so many but there are some basic issues in healthcare in south africa that have not yet been addressed and we can talk about the reasons for that and i would always say that what are we doing to address those main issues because as long as we don't eradicate okay eradicate is a strong word but as long as we don't minimize those issues, the whatever progress we make is going to always have like a false sense of accomplishment because you still have all these health burdens. So I, I spoke with a CEO of probably the biggest healthcare insurer in South Africa, and he told me that we have a quadruple health burden in South Africa. Quadruple. So there's four key healthcare issues that are plaguing the South African community. And... We need to address those simultaneously as bringing in like all these technologies. But luckily, the future, I think, is always bright. Where there's a, It sounds a bit insensitive, but where there's a crisis, there's an opportunity to improve and innovate and that kind of thing. So we have this space in South Africa. You would have to address, for progress to happen, the regulator is probably one of the biggest stakeholders, So they would have to get things aligned to serve the public and to serve the industry. And at the same time, you would also have to make sure that these four pillars of burden are addressed. And then I think progress will be more tangible. What are the four pillars? And we can wrap up with that. I was was hoping you wouldn't ask me because I probably forgot, but let me try. The first one is communicable diseases. So HIV and tuberculosis. So there's still quite a large number of people that, that have that. Although there's a lot of progress that has been made for the past probably 10 years. And then we have the maternal mortality. So a lot of women go into labor and they die and the child dies, sometimes survives. The care for, for these women going into labor is not at a standard that's acceptable. And then the third one, you have non-communicable diseases. And this is typical of what you would find in the West. So things like diabetes, heart attack, so lifestyle diseases. And then the fourth one 
is one that is surprising if you don't understand South Africa as a whole, but we have a, a very high burden of trauma. So a lot of trauma cases, like a lot of a lot of people get in accidents as a result of excessive drinking due to some of the crime rates being high. A lot of people get injured or killed through violent crime. And that actually really burdens the healthcare system. A lot of problems to address, only a few of them addressable with digital health and technology, a lot of them related to policy changes. Remember, earlier yeah. I said something about politics. These are the types of things that I mean, right? You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast because it really, really helps other listeners interested in digital health find the show as well. Stay tuned.